This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber, and today with me are three members, or the three members of the cast, of Outgoing Tide by Bruce Graham, which is currently playing at Northlight Theater, um, directed by B.J. Jones. So we have Rondi Reed, John Mahoney, and Tom Cox. Um, Rondi and John both are members of Steppenwolf, and Tom is a longtime <laughs> member of Looking Glass Theater, and the three of them are now on stage together at Northlight. The play um, is a family drama, and the character played by John Mahoney has Alzheimer's, and the family is coming to grips with a choice he has made in connection with that. Uh, and I think it's important to say that although that topic is not a jolly one. The play has wonderful moments of humor and um, a, a, almost a lightness, I would say, despite uh, how heavy some of the content is. So I wanted to talk um, maybe first about playing a family on stage. I think that one of the things for me that was very powerful about this was how believable this family was. And I'm interested in, in hearing from you, what are the things, and I'm sure you've all done lots of, I know you've all done lots of family dramas. What are there things that you consciously do or think about um, in rehearsal to create relationships that are believably intimate on stage? Maybe just start with Rondi, because you're to my left. Well, I guess I would say uh, Mr. Mahoney and I are at a distinct advantage because mm -hmm. we've known each other for over 30 years, yeah. and we have played husband and wife. I think I've lost track. It's been uh, a while since we have. I've spent the last probably 10 Thanksgivings at John's. You know, I have this sort of, uh, uh, you know, family that's not really family, uh -huh. but I mean, you are family with yeah, a bunch of different right, people right. in the world. But... um because we're friends and fellow actors and we've known each other's ins and outs and everything else over the years, I think there's a, um, a trust and a shorthand and a, and a feeling that, uh, you know, you can step right into it and you're, you're up to speed. Mm -hmm. And I think that net of support is very much felt. And, uh, I came in 10 days l after the rehearsal had begun. So I was a little late to the party because of my TV commitments. But when I got there, I thought these guys already sound like they've been a family. Uh -huh. So whatever they did in 10 days was fairly, uh, Miraculous. Well, John, what would you add to that? Well, uh, Rondi pretty much covered everything. It was very easy to slip into my uh, uh, my husband mode with uh, with Rondi. <laughs> uh, we try, as, you know, trust does have an awful lot to do with it. Uh, I know that if if I go blank, for example, she'll know she'll see that that dead stare of my eyes immediately and come uh -huh. to the rescue and I would do the same thing for her. Uh -huh. And has. Uh, and, and, and so uh, with Rondi, it's just 30 years. You know, yeah. It's, it's yeah. 30 years of, of having a dear, dear friend and, and easily translating that into a wife. Uh -huh. uh, with Tom, it was, we just, I think, I have a feeling, I don't know because Tom and I have never discussed it, but I have a feeling that we're both pretty instinctive actors. Mm -hmm. I'm not a researcher. Mm -hmm. I don't want to know more than my character would know. Mm -hmm. I don't want to delve too deeply into things. I want to keep it on the surface and see what happens. Take what I'm given and respond as honestly as I can to it. And I have a feeling that Tom is the same way. And right off the bat, right from the start, there was a 
a connection between us uh, as actors, as, as friends, almost immediately. And that translated very quickly and easily into father-son relationship. For me, it did anyway. Mm -hmm. BJ, when he cast you, did he see you play together before you were cast? Because what we did was, this was this originally was a, a reading. Ah. We got the script, and, and they, they have a program here where, they, where you read it to an audience. Uh, we had 200 people the first reading. Wow. And uh, they, it was amazing. We knew we had something special because we got a standing ovation, you know. Yeah, at, at a, a reading, meeting. that is amazing. And uh, but um, but no, I right from the top, right from the start, I was hoping Tom uh -huh. did the reading. Uh -huh. I was hoping he would be uh -huh. uh, he would be my son. So and, that was know. instinctive casting yeah. from on BJ's part right. for the reading. That yeah, that it was BJ and, and Lynn Baber because with the Interplay series, the the readings that they do. Lynn, uh, they don't have any auditions. Lynn basically offers, tries to find uh, the right actors and the right mix. And of right. course, she's working in coordination with BJ, but uh, right. or whoever is directing the show, right. the reading. But um, but she basically just contacts people and says, "Hey, would you like to do this reading?" And people say yes or no, uh -huh. and that's what happened with this. But she she let BJ know who everybody was, and he responded, "Oh, that's brilliant, casting." Yeah. yeah, and so he was. He was pleased with uh, with the way that she had put the reading together, and from the get go, it was there was a really great uh, interaction between John and me. And to just talk a little bit about the, the the whole idea of family that that Ronnie I think touched on that you know they have been working together for thirty years. I've been doing Looking Glass for twenty three years now, and and there is a family uh, quality within the ensembles, but I think there's also a larger. Um, Chicago community family feeling. I've actually known John sort of back and forth and in and out. He was a huge supporter of Looking Glass in our early days back when we were doing The Jungle and uh, helped us out on a couple of um, benefits and, and fundraisers and things like that. But he, um, he was around during that time when we were, you know, the young pups and uh -huh. sort of wagging our tails pretty hard. <laughs> you guys are great. I'll help you out. Uh -huh. And we would run into each other occasionally here and there. But we, we being looking last, the younger generation have a, a, a huge respect and affection for those, uh, our progenitors, those people who've come before us and really paved the way for other theater companies to get started and do the kind of work that's possible in the Chicago theater. So translating that that um, familiar and affectionate feeling into taking that into the room, it, it's, you know, I'm one of the luckiest people in Chicago theater right now. I get to come in and play with these two guys who are just, they're storied and, and incredible people to begin with. And to, to they can act room. also. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, that they remind me of that quite often. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you um, kind of gave me a softball lead-in to another question that I'm interested in asking John and Rondi uh, particularly, um, which is the question I didn't get to ask you when I did the Chicago Theater, when I did the Chicago Theater Symposium panel mm -hmm. because you guys were doing this show. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, you know, why, why do you keep coming back to Chicago? I've never left it. I mean, even when I was doing Frasier, I uh, when you do a sitcom, you're on three weeks. You work three weeks, get a week off for the writers to catch up on scripts. So I was home every fourth week, mm -hmm. a couple of weeks of Christmas, three or four weeks of Thanksgiving, four months uh, in between seasons. So even when I doing Frasier, 
I still lived here. Yeah. In fact, I was the only person I know on the Paramount parking lot that had an Oak Park sticker on his car. <laughs> <laughs> I had Illinois yeah. license plates. Mm. And all I ever did when I was uh, working out of town was rent. You know, I, I never for a minute thought I was ever going to live there. Right. That includes New York, too, which I love New York. I, this is my home. This is where I want to work, first and foremost. And the thing you love about working here, as opposed to, say, New York? Well, the thing is, I it's my home. Home's where the heart is. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family are all in the Midwest. Uh, all my friends are here. I didn't start acting till late. Most of my friends are not even in the theater. They're, uh, how, how late did you start acting? I started acting when I was 37. Uh-huh. And uh, so I most of the friends that I have are people that I worked with when I was an editor, when I was uh, a school teacher, uh-huh. when I was, you know, it, it's not... You had um, already put down roots in Chicago. I had words. already put yeah. down roots in yeah. Chicago, yeah. And uh, I just, uh, I'd love to go to New York and do a show again. I'd love it if this show went to New York, for example, for three or four months. To and that'd be plenty. And I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. but, but that would be enough. I, yeah. And then also, of course, is the Chicago acting uh, style, which is very, very different. I, uh, I'll tell a little story. I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, we did uh, The Seafarer at Steppenwolf, and it was a huge success, and yeah. it was wonderful. We got great reviews and everything. And then we took it to the Geffen Theater in Los Angeles, basically the same cast. We got none of the laughs. We got long silences. We didn't know what in the hell was going on. Now, at the same time, I was doing uh, In Treatment with Gabriel Byrne in New York, flying in on the weekends oh, to do that. And I was telling Gabriel about it, and he said, well, that's Los Angeles. He said, you know, uh, you've got to either give them a comedy or a drama. That's all they understand. You can't mix them. You can't have laughs in a drama or drama in a comedy. Or they get all confused and don't know what to do. And I just love, I love the Chicago style of acting, and there is a definite style. It's, you know, Jerry Zachs used to, I'm sorry to be monopolized. Please, you are not at all. Jerry Zachs used to always say, let the words go. Spend those words. Don't hoard them like a miser. And that's what you see in Chicago. It's like second nature. People, they do the play. They say the words. They don't, like, give a pause to every semicolon. I see. You know what I mean? Not all this nudging and emphasis and underlining. We... We're real people, and we talk like real people, right. and that's what I love. Right, right. Well, we got taken to task, the cast of August Osage County, you know, which could not have won any more accolades, and we'd been running on Broadway, you know, smashed down the door, and just, you know, we were the toast of the town. And our director, Anna Shapiro, came back about two months later, and she was like, okay, you're all doing New York acting now. <laughs> And we're like, what do you mean? Uh-huh. Well, you're all turning out front, <laughs> delivering your laugh lines. You're, you know, you're yeah. plodding along. You're making sure you emphasize every. Yeah. And we were all just. And she said, uh-huh. no. She said, that's not the reason this play made it here. Right. And that's not what I want to see. And I have no interest in watching it. And if you were to come and sit out front, it would make you. Furious. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it's a, it is a different style. It's yeah. definitely a different style. Now, you know, one of my last forays was doing this big Broadway musical Wicked. It doesn't get any bigger than that. And you're playing in a 2,500 seat theater and you're doing very, very, I mean, it's a big musical with, yeah. 
you know, extreme cut. I mean, it's fantastical. And I loved it. But that was also a different style. Mm -hmm. And how do you reach the back of a 2,500-seat house? And luckily, I was directed by Joe Mantello, uh, who said, I don't want this cartoon. I don't want this stuff. Mm -hmm. I want the real deal, but within the style of it. So it's been a huge learning curve. to, And then John, who has much, much more film and television experience than I do, but to um, get a crack to do some different things on film and television has been an amazing learning mm-hmm. curve for mm-hmm. me too, because it, it flexes different muscles completely yeah. and different disciplines and uh, your stamina is completely different. And Laurie Metcalf, I've told John, Laurie Metcalf said, I come back to do a play so I can remember how to act. (laughs) (laughs) And it meant, she said, and also I don't have that many things in my life that I'm passionate about, Rondi, but I'm passionate about that. And that's why I do it. And I think too, I'm like, John, I've lived in Chicago. People are like, where have you moved to? And I'm like, I haven't moved. (laughs) I've just, I've gone to work in New York. I've gone to work in LA. I've been in London or Australia or wherever, but people in my neighborhood are flabbergasted to see me in the last two weeks. They're like, Oh my God, you're back. (laughs) And I said, I am back, but I never moved, you know, and uh, I've been in my same Rogers park neighborhood for like over 10 years. Yeah. You raised the question of stamina, which I think is a very interesting one. I have to think that this play is very demanding to do, um, both because it's, well, you tell me. First of all, am I right, Tom? Is that- well, yeah, that's something that, that didn't, didn't really start happening until we were doing the play, and suddenly I realized, no, I, I literally never leave the stage. Right. I walk mm-hmm. out on stage, and I'm there the whole time, which isn't, it, it, it's, it doesn't see, it's not very long. The acts aren't very long, but... Um, and then they come back on stage. I'm like, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> but, uh, They're back. Oh, yeah. you again. But it's, but it flies by. It really flies by. We get into the last couple of, last scene or two of the first act of the last scene of the, of the second act. And it's sort of suddenly upon you. Mm-hmm. But I started noticing in the previews that I would be just spent by the end of the show. And it's, it's not, uh, you know, I've done a lot of really physically demanding shows that you start running and you sweat and you just do whatever you can to get to the end of the show. This is not that, but it, it is, uh, it is draining in a very deceptive way. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, by the time we get to the end of the show, I've gone through the ringer. And, yeah. and I can imagine that that's definitely true for the other two. Yeah. And mentally, I mean, I think too, BJ's, uh, um, and the way Bruce writes, it's, it has a certain rhythm and drive and forward motion to it that the story sort of demands. Or it will, you know, I could, what did he say? At one point he said, no, I wrote those stage directions for all the community theater productions. Because <laughs> it's one set, three actors, you know. Right. And, um, but I think BJ right away really put us on that track of, you know, it needs a momentum. And it's set basically in real time. You're, and, and part of the thing is Gunner's intent with what he has to do and the speed that he has to get things accomplished with. So that is underneath the whole story structure of the show. And you have to be really mentally on your toes. Yeah. I mean, you know, poor, you know, thank God for Tom, who's about half our age, because John and I, the first 
first week of previews, each were like on Mars with various lines, you know. Uh-huh. And he was the only one, you know, who else are you going to call? <laughs> you know. So uh, uh, he bailed us out. I'm a third their age, not. Uh. Well, but anyway, I think we gave him the uh, MVP award for senior actor assists <laughs> on stage in a given show. Is it true that you're finding it harder as you age to Yes, I'll just admit it. Things, I absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll be 71 this month. Um, hell yes. It, uh, yes. It's, uh, it's, it's a, real a lot thing. harder to learn the lines now than it was 30 years ago. And sure. he's a crossword maniac, which yeah. is the things that they say keep you going. Do. Some people, you know, Joan Allen in our company, that stuff, she opens a script, looks at it, she knows yeah, it. Yeah, it's, that's uh, nice. Lori's like that, too. Lori, Lori's got it. that. I prefer Terry Kitty's excuse. No, you've got to do it organically. (laughs) (laughs) It's not good to know it all. Well, that also brings us very naturally, you guys are great, to the subject of Alzheimer's. And I'm interested, John, you said right up front that you you don't do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that was true for this show as well. Actually, uh, they brought in, um, I think it's called a gerontologist, psychiatric Mm -hmm. geriatricist. Geriatricist, Mm -hmm. a psychiatric geriatricist. Uh, Herb, Dr. Herb, and he talked to us, but all the time he was talking, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, should I know this? Should Mm -hmm. I? Gunnar wouldn't know this. Gunnar has no idea what this is about. I I, I didn't want it to affect me by knowing more than I'm supposed to know. You just trust the playwright. I trust the playwright. I trust the words and I trust the actors that I'm on stage with, you know, And, and I, you know, after you rehearse for three or four weeks, you you've got it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you don't need. You, uh, I know, you know. I was doing a movie, and and, and I was playing a judge, and, and everybody was going to court. Everybody there to watch the judges work, and all of a sudden, and I'm thinking to myself, that's not what it's about. It's mm-hmm. not how a judge blows his nose or raises <laughs> an eyebrow, or you know, it, 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 it it's about what's inside the people, uh-huh. and so that's what I do. So I could be playing any one. Of um, dementia, unfortunate people, and there were and there were many more things. As mm-hmm. Herb told us, Doctor yeah. Herb told us, you know, dementia is not only caused from Alzheimer's; it's also vascular from a stroke, it's also Parkinson's mm-hmm. disease, dementia. Mm-hmm. There are many different kinds of dementia. So why get yourself all screwed up? You know, yeah. just I'm playing a man whose whose brain is compromised and who, in lucid moments, comes up in the way to uh, overcome this yeah. and take care of his family. And that's all I need to know. Yeah. And actually, Alzheimer's and dementia are not mentioned in the play. Yeah. Those words are not used in the I play. guess yeah. that's true. It is yeah. a situation. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It, it is a situation that arises for this family. Yeah. And it is about how this family deals with it, centered around the, the, you know, the patriarch of the family and his, his feelings about what's happening to him. Not why it's happening, but what is happening and what he wants to what do. To do. Yeah. And I think, too, it comes late because it's not until the very end of the play when Peg realizes that her husband is not going to go along with what she has uh, dreamed up and mm-hmm. decided. And she says, I've been on the computer half the night doing research and I found this thing called a living will. That's now, the first, she brings it up. Yeah, right. that's the first time, you know, and right. she's all the way, she's exhausted every other means of trying to coerce him into going to this assisted living situation. So, um, I don't know that, I mean, I think 
the reality for Peg's character is that she has seen it happen to him. Mm-hmm. You know, she's dealt with it. I remember uh, uh, in my family, my fa- my dad's sister was having a nervous breakdown. And I mean, she'd retired from teaching and, and her mother said, well, she just, it's been going on like this for a couple weeks and she's just been saying strange things, you know. So there's a generation of people, and mm-hmm. I think Gunner and Peg are in that mm-hmm. group, you know, where you just sort of keep going and if everything's okay, then you just keep, you know. Right. Oh, Oh, but but finally, when Jack shows up, she's like, you know what? It, she finally confesses to him, this is getting bad, and it's headed worse, and we need to do something. And I think in Peg's mind, moving into that kind of facility, she even says, and then when he gets worse, whatever, mm-hmm. he'll move over to the right. you know care center. So there's sort of a denial to a certain extent yeah. with all of them in it. There's yeah. not a need to. There's not a need to give it a name. There's not a need yeah. to know the statistics yeah. of what's going right. on. It is what's happening to this person, yeah. right. Right. and that's what's. That's, that's what intellectuals do, but that's not what this family would right. do. Yeah. And time gets telescoped. I mean, ordinarily, this kind of scenario for a family could unfold over like a five-year period. Right. No, it happens in really telescoped time, right. mm-hmm. and with an urgency that is driven by Gunner, really, by yeah. his wishes. Yeah. 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 Well, what was, I mean, we've talked about stamina, which I you know, kind of imagined must have been one of the challenges of this, but what for each of you were the things that, you know, one week or two week into rehearsal, you said, oh my God, am I really going to be able to solve that, overcome that, make that work? Tom, maybe starting with you, was there something? I mean, I have to say no, there wasn't, there wasn't really anything. Uh, I'm, I mean, honestly, John and I, for the first two weeks, we're concentrating on learning the blocking and figuring out the staging and, and having some issues with the script, not like, Oh, I don't think that mm-hmm. uh, this is really problematic, but just, uh, I think we should say it this way, or should we should try mm-hmm. check in with Bruce and see if we can, mm-hmm. you know, circumvent this part of the script. And that kind we're of very, very fortunate in, in Bruce and, uh, and BJ because they're so collaborative. You know, I've worked with playwrights who just go nuts if you uh, if you put a pause in that isn't written there, or right. if you don't take a pause that is written there, or or if you the change a word, change a line, something like that. Um, Bruce has no ego problems like that. <laughs> you say, Bruce, this this doesn't quite feel right. Do you mind if I say this? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. If that's what feels better to you. And uh, BJ the same way. Mm-hmm. He's you know, I find now that I'm doing. Ninety percent of what BJ wanted me to do, and ten percent of what I wanted to do originally. <laughs> I'll be honest with that. But his ninety percent is a hell of a lot better than my ten percent uh, was. It was because I you couldn't have done discovered him. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, uh, he, he would say all the time. I, I was very emotional the first two or three weeks of rehearsal. Rehearsal. I, I cried easily, you know, uh, because I do anyway. You know, I cry at Hallmark commercials. You know. <laughs> You're a marshmallow. I am. I know uh-huh. you are. And so, but BJ would drill that into me. No, you leave that to the audience. You give the audience that prerogative. Right. Not You don't assume it yourself. You lay this out for them and let them have. Have the emotion. Yeah, right. It's like, you know, it's like the, the talking about art, talking about uh, Hamlet. It's like... Uh, what is it? It's holding up a mirror to mankind. Uh, and it's not making any judgments. It's not being didactic. It's not being anything. It's just saying, look at this. That's what we do with this play. Mm-hmm. We say, look at this family. Interesting, huh? 
What do you think? Yeah. And we're weeping we in our seats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so how did BJ just out of curiosity? I mean, you've said he would just say, no, you can't do that. And yeah. then you would try to do it his way. And then over time you were sold on it. You that. know, I found that I've found it many, many times. I really rely on a director. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I'm not one of these. I remember watching uh, uh, an award show one time. I remember Jeremy Irons getting up to get a Tony Award or something, Golden Globe, I think, and he thanked the director for staying out of their way. And I thought that was the cruelest, most stupid thing anybody could say. I rely so much on a director. I really do. I, and I've had some great ones from Frank Galati to Aaron Shapiro to Jerry Zaks, to, and, and I include BJ in that because everything he gave me to do was gold. It really was. And at first, I'd bite it. I mean, I'm, I'm a human being. <laughs> right. And I'd pout a little bit. or you know, <laughs> uh-huh. But after I did it, and after I did it full out the way he wanted, I realized, of course, that's that the work. way. Yeah. Of course, that's the way. It so, reminds me of the first time I worked with uh, Austin. Austin Pettit. Oh, yeah, yeah. In uh, Loose Ends. And, and he said, John, why don't you just try this? And I said, okay. As soon as I did it, I knew uh-huh, it was right. Uh-huh. You know? It just would fit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there was no ego in this room anywhere. <laughs> no, not really. Like, I mean, I was trying to think of, uh, I mean, short of memorizing the lines, which almost did me in, but, uh, uh, <laughs> good spit take, John. You know, I really did. I thought, boy, but you can tell I've been doing like 12 lines in Wicked for the last five. Uh, um, but, uh, I would say when BJ first, you know, because, Deanna Dunnigan, who's a terrific actress, did the original reading of this, and then they said she was not going to be available, and John, you know, started talking to me about it, and BJ started talking, and BJ said, let me send it to you, and I read it, and I said, you know what, I'm really not quite, I should be a little bit older, and did 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 and then I think I saw myself on television, and I called him back, and I said, okay, I look old. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, he said, great, and, um, but he said, now, honey, you know, this is a different kind of role for you. You know, she's not this, you know, you can't, you know, I, you're going to be able to use that strength of yours, but it's going to be a different, different approach and a different kind of role. And I said, I desperately want to do that because after doing, um, Maddie Faye in August, Mm -hmm. everything that came to me were these blousy, Mm -hmm. uh, not that I don't play those well, I do, (laughs) but you know, the kind of the blousy, brassy, everything was in that same vein. Mm -hmm. And though I've done much more than that, you know, I was being perceived as, and, and of course people would cast me for my strength, you know, and you got that kind of a role. And in fact, I turned down August the first time I said, no, you know, it's a Roundy Reed part. I've done that. I don't want to, Tracy Lett said, I wrote it for you. And I go, I don't care. I don't really don't care. You know, and a Tony award later, but um, <laughs> I, I felt like it was important that I do it, that I, that I experienced something that I, and I thought I knew who this woman was. Yeah. I mean, I was raised Catholic and, um, I really felt there was a whole generation of women that reside within this mm-hmm. framework, you know, uh, that that married young and that didn't really know exactly what they were getting into had a very strong uh, male figure in the husband who wanted to run things and did run things and but they managed to survive and thrive underneath that and so it is a at, at one point she tries to explain to her her son because he says well some of the stuff you say to each other 
you know, and she said, oh, you know, come on that you spend 51 years with the person, you know, it's just 50 years, you know, and there, I love in the audience when there's this like kind of sigh of recognition (laughs) because you look around the room and there's clearly people that, you know, it doesn't have to be 50 years. Right. I mean, when I think of it, I think too, you know, that John and I have known each other for 30 years, you know, so it's all relative in that, but it's been a great, um, it's been a good, she's been a good gal for me to get inside of. Mm -hmm. Well, let's just finish with one last topic, which is the audience response. Um, and this is, I think, a theater where I imagine you can really feel mm, it. You're very uh, close. Yeah, yeah. What is it? 300 and... 306 six or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and the audience response has been amazing. Uh, we, from the first preview till last night, we've gotten a standing ovation. It sold more tickets than anything else, and, and, and than anything else that's ever been here. And they seem to enjoy it so much. They're so quiet during yeah. the serious parts. Yeah. You can hear a pin drop, and they respond to the laughter you know, uproariously. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they need it. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. But right. whatever it is, it's uh, you know. I mean, sometimes you'll get somebody who's a little long in the tooth who gets a little upset with the language uh-huh. you know we've had that we had it's, a, it's not a problem with this theater but it happens quite often uh, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they, some of the older patrons talk <laughs> and so for example right. you know uh, right in the middle of a really tough scene you hear somebody say I'm sorry I brought you here. I didn't know it had this kind of language. Oh, that's okay. No, really. <laughs> and we're standing We're working here. <laughs> we can keep going, you know. Right. But, but I think maybe that's the only uh, the, the only negative we've ever had. Uh, audiences just absolutely eat it up. Yeah. Really, from moment one. Even the, the reading and the script became yeah. very different after the reading. Mm-hmm. It changed a lot. It's been the same story, but the presentation, the style of presentation has changed since then. And mm-hmm. Bruce worked on it very hard, but uh, but the basic idea and the basic character relationships and how each of us, re- how each of the characters responds to the situation, they have been on it from moment one. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think too, it's interesting because you know that we've attracted a younger audience yeah. out here that is not typically uh, North Shore. You know, we have the people who look like us sitting in the front three rows, and then we, I mean, Tom playing a you know a middle aged baby boomer with three kids in the process of a divorce, and his son who refuses to come out of his room. You know, uh, wants to be a video designer. You get a whole generation of people that you know you hear those Relate laughs of uh, familiarity and identification with that. So I mean, it cuts across a a wide swath. I think of uh, a different generations that come, and we've had younger kids come to see it as well. You know, and. Uh, so it's it's um I think it's a a good selection to put mm-hmm. into a season. Certainly. This will also, be a play that'll be done a lot, I oh, think. Yeah. Yeah. I also have a lot of admiration for the audience because I'm I'm sure with the ages of our audience oh. that a lot of these people have been through that. And yeah. to have to, yeah. for them to sit through this show and watch that and whatever memories that stirs up in them whatever, Yeah. Yeah. I, I, they're heroic. Yeah. yeah. Well I have told some people not to come. 
And I said, what? And I said, you know what? I really don't think with what's going on in your life right mm -hmm. now. I said, you know what? Just skip this one. And then, of course, they're intrigued. And I said, yeah. well, you can read about it in the reviews. But I said, you know, you have to understand, I don't want to lead somebody into this. Yes, the point of theater is to be moved and touched emotionally and perhaps cathartic and, and be entertained and all of that. But if it's going to be something that's really, really going to be upsetting and disturbing to you, I don't steer people into those things. I don't really believe in that. You know, I feel like you have to have a caveat, you know, and let them know. Or somebody goes, oh, you're doing a show. And it's like, yeah, now it's not musical theater, just right. so you know that. Right, right. And uh, because I don't have any qualms about talking about what it's about and right, what they should expect. But I certainly, you know, it's been entitled to dramedy, which I think it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is life is basically what it is. Yeah. You know, it's got a sense of humor about itself. The family unit has a sense of humor. It's very, very, um, recognizable. I yes. Think, in a lot that's of ways. a good word. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, my father died of Alzheimer's and my mother and I came to see it. And, it, mm -hmm. and that's been no, uh, eight years. So it's mm -hmm. pretty far behind mm -hmm. us. I, you know, it wasn't, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a reason not to come. And it mm -hmm. wasn't, I don't think it was even that we that much did revisit it because this was a different family and a yeah, different yeah, situation. Yeah, and it yeah. was really not directly a, the Alzheimer's created the choice right. that the family faces. Yeah. But that choice is what's it, what it's yes, about. Yes, and it could have been anything. It could have been right. Lou Gehrig's. It could have been, right. yeah. you know, MS. AIDS. It could have been anything. Yeah. Any, yeah. HIV. Anything. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the audience I was sitting in, I was one of many who were kind of sniffing and then having to hold back sobs at points. You know, it's it's um, it really is a very moving uh, show, yeah. and I. Really, thank you for coming to talk to me about it. Thanks. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Mm -hmm.